Alrighty, folks, it is almost Christmas in more than one way. It's it's literally almost Christmas, uh, but every morning we wake up expecting to get a present in the Federal Register. We are now 764 days since the formal announcement of CMMC 2.0 rulemaking in November of 2021. And every day that goes by gets closer to a Christmas miracle of it being published. Uh, as of today, as of uh, this podcast, we still don't have it yet. But uh, you know, all the birds are chirping. All the eyes of the CMC ecosystem are glued to the register. All of the weak signals out there in the system indicate that it is coming at any moment. So uh, lots of high drama before before the holidays here. 764 days seems like a short walk in the park as far as timelines go, Jacob. It just seems like just yesterday we were thinking about what CMMC and Envision in it. And it's entertaining for my wife right now because every morning she gets to watch our daughter go downstairs and search for the elf on the shelf. And she gets to watch her husband go upstairs to his office and hit F5 on the Federal Register to search for CMMC on the web, right? Classic uh, Christmas uh, traditions, waiting for the government to publish massive documents at the end of the year and elf on a shelf. <laughs> it is. It's what, what, what's the government up to? What's Elfie up to? Pumpkin you never know the lattes, shenanigans. Yeah. Pumpkin spice lattes and gingerbread houses and the anxiety of hundred. 200 plus page rules just dropping out of nowhere on a, on a random weekday anyways since it's almost christmas uh we have and we're still waiting on the rule we have a wish list we we've made our wish list for what we would like uh santa to bring us in the cmmc rule so we're going to run through those very quickly we'll keep it short we'll keep it snappy everybody needs to conserve their energy everybody needs to hydrate everybody needs to limber up because uh from what everybody's heard, this rule is a doozy. So uh, we don't want to pull a hammy or anything like that when the rule drops. And we got to <laughs> jump into action trying to read through, I don't know, 300 pages of stuff. Uh, so anyways, here's our wish list of what we would like to do. The first thing on my wish list, first thing on my wish list, dear Department of Defense, please respond to public comments that were submitted on the 2020 CMMC rule in this 2023 CMC rule. This is, from a rulemaking nerd's perspective, uh, the most interesting thing that could happen, I think, in terms of how they format the rule. So very quickly, the way that rulemaking normally works is uh, an agency publishes a proposed rule in the Federal Register. The public gets to comment on that rule, typically for 60 days. Once that comment period ends, the agency gathers and adjudicates all of those public comments. They group them by common theme, and then they issue responses to those comments in what is known as a final rule, which sometimes carries small minor changes uh, pursuant to feedback from those comments. So the final rules are typically quite long because there's a bunch of stuff at the beginning of the rule about the government responding to what the public commented on when the proposed rule was published. The 2020 CMMC rule wasn't a proposed rule. It was an interim final rule, which means it went into effect immediately, which is why DFARS 7019 and DFARS 7020, your SPRS scoring and things like that, you had to do right away because the rule was effective right away. 
the CMMC clause, DFAR 7021, was held back on a case-by-case basis, but it exists, right? So Mm -hmm. anyways, famously, the 2020 rule received like 850 public comments. The DOD said in like 2021 that only about half of those are relevant, but 450, 500 public comments is still a significant number of public comments that are relevant to uh, CMMC. And so what I would be very interested to see on my wish list, pretty please, would be in this proposed rule, if DOD will issue their responses to comments from 2020. Typically, we wouldn't see that until we see a final rule, but there's nothing really keeping them from being able to do that. So you could see them at the front of the rule basically address concerns on cost and burden and small business impact and complexity and the relationship between CMMC and the NIST requirements of, you know, pursuant to DFAR 7012 and all of this ticky tacky stuff that we've made a lot of content on based off of old rules. You could see them address it in the the preamble front matter of the rule itself before they get into the CMC documents. I would be uh, very interested to see their responses to the 2020 uh, comments. I have a very strong feeling that they will probably do that because this is the first rule since the 2020 rule. The only other thought here is um, I think there's a lot of people who may not have gone back to read the final rule from 2016, the final rule from 2013, where they directly respond to public comments. And, you know, not a lot of people do that. It's understandable. However, I think there's a big disparity that people aren't expecting between the way that DOD communicates in the average webinar, conference presentation, podcast interview, right? And the way that DOD communicates via the written word in in official regulations, right? It is much more direct. It is much more, um, uh, uh, there's no fluff. It's much more officious. It's written by lawyers, right? It's much more blunt in the federal register than it is when Stacy's up there, you know, hanging out with everybody and like being, you know, being friendly with everyone, right? It's a, it's a very big distinction in terms of the vibe that you get from the way that they communicate in their comment responses. And I don't think most people are prepared for the tone that DOD is going to take in their responses to public comments. So I'm very, very interested to see, one, will they respond to public comments for 2020? And two, how will the ecosystem react when the DOD isn't having to beat around the bush and pull their punches on their policy statements about cost, burden, impact, so on and so forth. So that's the first thing I want to see. Yeah, those in writing responses to those public comments are are more taken in legal purposes. You know, they're well thought out, well planned to make sure that they that they don't step on any toes or you know yeah. cross any lines that they're not supposed to cross. And, and realistically, they're blunt and to the point. And, and it'll be interesting to see that. Um, you said there was like eight hundred and fifty. It'll be interesting to see what the responses to the things that possibly are not in scope of the DOD or the or that particular rule. They'll just say, hey, we already covered that, you know. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a lot less golly gee, aw shucks, you know, we're all trying to make it work kind of stuff uh, when when they're up on stage in the rule. If they are like, hey, all of these comments on the cost of implementing 800-171 are irrelevant, uh, they'll say they're irrelevant. Next question and then move on. Right. There's no there's no extra 
despite the length of the rule, there's not a lot of extra fluff in the rule addressing this stuff. So I'm very interested to see that. Okay. Anyways, moving on. Second thing on the wish list, dear DOD, please explain bifurcation. So for those of you that are new here, uh, famously, when CMMC 2.0 was announced in 2021, one of the features, features, one of the characteristics of... uh, (laughs) of uh of cmc 2.0 was this concept of bifurcation at level two originally cmmc said everyone everywhere all the time will need an external assessment from a c3 pao from anyone who just needs level one all the way up to the people who just need level three well the concession to industry under 2.0 is people at level one can self-assess uh people at level three will get dibcac assessments people at level two will need external assessments, except for a small number of people who are dealing with quote unquote, non-prioritized CUI and this bifurcation effect, this splitting effect at level two, will have some companies who need external assessments from a C3 PAO and some companies who do not. And that sounds wonderful because that means that fewer companies will need to pay for an assessment and that makes the program cheaper and it makes it less impactful on the industry, and it's more focused and efficient, and on and on and on sounds great, until you ask the question, how the heck is that going to work? And there isn't really a good answer. So at the beginning of 2022, the DoD CIO held a, a, a town hall for like three days in a row where they had the same presentation, and the recording that they didn't post, OGs will remember this, The recording that they didn't post had a little bit of a Freudian slip in it where the DOD CISO, Dave McEwen, was asked the question, uh, how's bifurcation at level two going to work, Dave? And he said, it's not. (laughs) So we asked Stacey Boschanek at CS2DC in July of 2022, okay, how's bifurcation going to work? We didn't really get a good answer. My follow-up to her was, okay, are you talking about bifurcation within CUI categories? Are you talking about bifurcation among the CUI categories? And what I mean by that is, if you have controlled technical information, pretty good indicator that you're going to need an external assessment. Is DOD saying that people who have controlled technical information will need external assessments, but people who have some other form of CUI health information, tax information, whatever the other categories might be, they don't need uh, C3PAO external assessments because that makes sense. Or are they saying that it's possible that people who have some forms of CTI will not need external assessment? Because that seems impossible for the DOD to manage and identify. They don't understand their data flows. They certainly don't understand their data flows in the sub-tiers of the DIB. Like it's just that... That doesn't seem realistic. So her kind of sort of answer, I mean, we'll we'll post the link to her presentation from DC was, uh, we don't, you know, it was pretty similar to uh, what Dave let out of the bag at the beginning was, it's not really a, a, it's not really a hard and fast strategy for minimizing stuff. I feel like what's going to happen is other categories other than CTI might be able to get away without having an external assessment. But most people in the DIB who were worried about CMMC all along are the people who have CTI in the first place. So bifurcation probably 
was never going to work for them, even if DOD had a solid plan. So I'm interested to see if they expand information on the bifurcation idea. You know, it should still be a characteristic of 2.0, uh, but I'm very interested to see what they say about that that approach. So the only thing that I have to add on to that re really is that the impression that I got was is that there will be a very limited number of bifurcated level two contracts, and there will be a even lesser frequency that they occur, if that makes sense, where they're going to exist, but it's going to be like a um, an albino grizzly bear, right? Like, you're, are you going to find it, right? Like, it's, exactly, it's hard to find. Exactly right? the metaphor I was thinking. Yeah, like, it's just, it, they exist, but how many have you seen, right? Like. Yeah. It, it's going to be like the waiver process, right? It is true that in the CMMC program documented at 32 CFR section 107 or whatever it's going to be as a result of the rule, that a waiver process does exist on paper. The likelihood that the average company in the DIB subcontracted to a mega prime is going to be given a waiver vanishingly small, especially mm -hmm. because you're not directly uh, on the other end of DOD's decisions about bifurcation and waivers. You're at the mercy of the market dynamics and your relationship to your customer, as we have talked about many, many times. So all of the good ideas that DOD has about minimizing impact on industry get filtered through the mega primes and the large co prime contractors. So they probably won't play out exactly the way that DOD says in the rule. And that technically isn't DOD's problem. That's the problem between primes and subcontractors. So absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the next thing we want to know, dear DOD, please explain requirements for managed service providers. So famously, uh, the DOD finally submitted their rule to OIRA for regulatory review back in July. And not even a week later, the draft documents for the CMMC program the assessment guides, the scoping guides, the hashing guide, the model overview, which will all be published alongside the text of the rule, were posted online. Uh, there's conspiracies out there about why this happened and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. They were pulled down a little while later. Uh, but for a brief moment, we got to glimpse around the corner at the documents that were still in draft form. And in those documents, they said, Managed service providers that have clients who need CMMC level two need CMMC level two themselves. And managed service providers that have clients who need CMMC level three need CMMC level three themselves, which for a lot of companies out there that have fast talking MSPs that told them, hey, no big deal. We got it. We do the NIST. Hey, no big deal. We got it. We do HIPAA, H-I-P-P-A. <laughs> For everybody that signed a multi-year contract uh, and that were at the mercy of the asymmetry of information because they didn't know that they should ask their MSP about 800-171A, about their shared responsibility matrix mapped to 800-171A, so on and so forth. If those MSPs themselves uh, need a CMMC certification, you're in not only deep water, but hot, 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 hot water at this point because an MSP that doesn't know what's going on, of which there are many, uh, is gonna have a hard enough time getting its clients through an assessment, let alone if that MSP themselves needs to be CMMC certified. So for those of you listening, uh, you might wanna call somebody because 
very strong indicators that the rule is going to require MSPs with clients who need CMMC to themselves have CMMC. And I don't think there are, I don't even think there are double digits of MSPs that are planning on that being a requirement for them, right? Even if they are planning on helping their clients. So definitely Let's interested see. to see the clarification on, on that. I'm not saying that I'm directly looking at the document or not, but let's just talk about if more in depth. Exactly. Be. If I might be looking at the document, there might be a section and that section might be labeled external service provider considerations. And inside of that section, it may say something as, uh, I don't know, along the lines as uh, an external service provider can be within scope of uh, CMMC requirements if it meets CUI asset or security protection asset categorization, right? Um, and one of the ways that you could consider, you know, if they are going to be in scope of your CMMC assessment is, uh, I don't know, maybe in the document says something like evaluate the external service provider's shared responsibility matrix. What? Where the provider what? identifies control objectives that they hold partial or full responsibility for. Wow. And then that security control objective that are the OSA and OSC's responsibility. So then that, that just draws you into that's the whole scope. That's what it may or may not say. That's what, it, yeah, like. If, if there were a document and it, if it did show up sometime in July of just 2023, you're just, yeah, I don't know. I may be from the future, but realistically, this is what the document might say. You're from the future. Did the Chargers fire their head coach after this season? Please, it's, please have yes. mercy on me. Bet, okay. Bet over. <laughs> please, please. Chargers, please. Anyways, uh, that's what I really want for Christmas. Any yes. hoosies, uh, the next thing that we would like. Dear DOD, please make the phased rollout nice and clear. Uh, so when the rule comes out, first of all, when the rule comes out, it's going to be a proposed rule. We have to have a final rule for the program to become effective. So once the rule is out, there'll be a public comment period. Once the public comment period is over, the clock starts ticking for DOD to adjudicate and respond to those comments via a final rule. Once that final rule is out, uh, that's it. Right. And then the program is effective and assessments can start and then everything, you know, gets rolling. Uh, DOD is not going to insert CMMC into every contract overnight. They're not going to retroactively modify contracts to add CMMC into them uh, after the fact. Uh, they're going to insert CMMC into contracts in a phased manner, what they call a phased rollout. Uh, CMMC 1.0, published in 2020 wanted to have a five-year phased rollout and wanted to have CMMC in all contracts by uh, October of 2025. Uh, Stacy previously over the last few years has said that DOD wants to do a three-year phased rollout, um, which makes sense because according to the uh, more narrow focus of CMMC 2.0, fewer companies would need an external assessment. So the rollout doesn't need to take quite as long. Uh, the the leaked documents may or may not have said that they are still planning on doing a five-year rollout. Uh, you know, we don't know. We know that there will be a multi-year phased rollout. Uh, we don't know what that structure will be exactly. Hopefully they make it nice and clear. It wasn't all that complicated in CMMC 1.0, so it shouldn't take too much time to understand. But like we said before, DOD could say, we're going to put it in one contract the first year, and you know what's going to happen. The mega prime contractors and your customers are going to turn around and they're the probably the day the proposed rule is published and they're going to go, when are you getting certified? Call us when you're certified. Are you certified yet? Could you get certified faster, please? 
Uh, so it really won't matter for the majority of people who need certifications when the DOD puts the clause and the requirement into a contract or whatever number of contracts, because the market dynamics are going to artificially accelerate that requirement. And there's really nothing the DOD can do about it. So hopefully the rollout is nice and clear, but, um, you know, that rollout is going to be, it's going to mean less and less the, the further away from DOD you are in the supply chain. So that rollout deadline means more to the primes, right? As far as when that deadline for the rollout period ends, the primes have to have their stuff in order. And now this is a part of supply chain risk management. This is a part that the primes are going to be doing is cleaning up and making sure that their business operations stay intact. And all of the subsidiaries that they depend on are intact and, and doing what they need to do for when their deadline gets there. They're not playing catch up because of people that are further down the food chain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. which is why it sort of cascades through, right? It's sort of like uh, in the military, when they tell you that you have to be in formation by 10 a.m. for the commanding officer to give their remarks. And then, uh, you know, all the division uh, uh, officers say, OK, everybody be in place by 930. And then all of the, you know, you know, subordinates from there tell their people, OK, everybody be in place by nine o'clock and then on and on and on. And pretty soon you're standing out there before sunrise for uh, a formation that doesn't start for four hours. <laughs> Uh, so I feel like that's probably going to be the same effect, essentially, that happens here where DOD goes, yeah, we're going to insert it into contracts, it, you know, chunks of contracts in the first year and then a group of contracts the next year. And then, you know, by year three, year four, year five, whatever it is, it'll be in all contracts. And then you're uh, down the chain and everybody's going to go, OK, why aren't you certified yesterday? Right. And that'll that'll cause a bunch of consternation. It'll cause a bunch of confusion. It'll cause a bunch of back and forth. But DOD will basically throw their hands up and say, we have a phased rollout. We're not responsible for the negotiations between you and your customer. So do you think that um, once, you know, we, we've got a glimpse into Rev3 and, and then the final edition of Rev3. Do you think that once Rev3 comes out and all the supply chain risk management considerations that are in there show up, that more so trickle down the supply chain happens more often because of it? Because now it's more of a requirement instead of good business practice. Now it's a required business practice. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think that the publication of 171 Rev 3 is just going to throw more fuel on the fire. You know, how CMMC handles uh, the revision is, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, something that we'll talk about here in just a second, but uh, you know, there, NIST is going to update the revisions just yesterday. Ron Ross was posting about their revision cycle for 800 171 uh, or 800-172. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, with those publications, it's going to, it's going to emphasize stuff. It's going to accelerate stuff. It's going to add confusion to stuff. Right. And so it just, it, you have to be v very uh, on the up and up about what's required by what, what's required when, who's requiring it, you know, what's going on. It's going to be a lot to sort through. Um, but that brings us to our next item on our wish list. Uh, mm -hmm. dear DOD, please do not specify a specific revision of 800-171 and 800-172. Please do not do that. The reason why I say please do not do that is because DFAR 7012 does not specify a specific revision. DFAR 7012 says you need to implement the version of 800-171 that's in place at the time of your contract or solicitation. The leaked documents from July may or may not have said a 
that CMMC is focused on 800-171 Rev2. Well, that's going to cause a little bit of a problem because once 800-171 Rev3 goes final here in like Q1 of 2024, DFAR 7012 automatically points to the most current revision. So every contract or purchase order or whatever that has DFAR 7012 in it after that point says you need to implement Rev3. But the CMMC program is saying we're going to show up and assess Rev2. So what do you do? How do you assess it? How big is your POAM need to be? What? How do you decide to budget for that? How do you decide to prioritize it? How do you tackle your Delta project? There's all these questions about what's going on. Based off of what we've heard, there is no plan for a class deviation, which is basically the DOD term for a waiver or an extension of a deadline for Rev3. It doesn't appear like CMMC has that verbiage from DFAR 7012 in it. It looks like it specifies a specific revision. It's going to cause a lot of confusion in the public comments, and we don't really know how DOD plans to handle that. It's going to make assessments awkward. It's going to make the tracking of assessments awkward. It's going to just cause a lot more confusion than it needs to. If they keep the language the same as DFAR 7012, then you don't have that disparity between what CMMC will assess and what DFAR 7012 is requiring. And then DOD can, you know, give class deviations or waivers or whatever for one thing in DFAR 7012, and it'll carry over to CMMC. If they specify specific revisions of 171 and 172, then it would require more rulemaking in the future to point to the new revisions of 800-171 and 172, which completely defeats the purpose of revising those standards to keep up with threats or respond to issues or blah, blah, blah. So even though 800-171 Rev3 would be an objectively better standard, you might have CMMC lag behind by like a year before they show up to assess 171 Rev3. We don't know. We got to see what's in the rule. <clears throat> it was. It's going to be a lot of stuff to explain, a lot of stuff to understand, a lot of issues to juggle. Please, DOD, please do not specify a specific revision. For all of our sanities, please do not do that. That being said, I got a feeling they probably will. <laughs> I also have a very unsettling feeling in my stomach that that is probably what the case is going to be. And it will create chaos eventually some at some point down the road. And, yeah. and I don't know... I. We're we're so excited about the changes to Rev three. I'm so excited about the changes to uh, one seventy two that that are coming. I read Ron's post yesterday. It's had significant changes and further mm -hmm. aligning it to be another one of these Russian nesting dolls of eight hundred fifty three subordinates, right? Yeah. And, and so, like, I I, I really um, hope that for the greater good of the Dib, that is the the CMMC rule does not specify and it aligns it so that. As this guidance document that is released by NIST is progressing and molding to today's threat landscape, that the CMMC program has some way of adopting and, and slightly maturing as well. Yeah. Now, the the twist here, <clears throat> if it were me, uh, if, if I were at the DOD, uh, what I would say is, actually, we did specify Rev2 in the CMMC rule, and you're welcome, because Rev2 is a smaller standard. If you go all the way back to the time when dinosaurs roamed the earth in 2013, the DOD famously said, uh, 
you need to specify, you need to implement a specific set of 853 controls. If you fast forward to 2016, they said, congratulations, everyone. We have reduced your burden by 30% because 800-171 is 30% less stuff than the 2013 baseline. You're welcome. And then they kept that baseline virtually unchanged for seven years, right? And now the program is going to show up to assess the set of requirements that have been unchanged since 2016. So you're you know, you're welcome for the mercy of the DOD deciding that we're not going to assess you immediately against the new standard. We're going to assess you against the standard that has been required for almost a decade. Uh, so even though it's a mess and that's probably not at all what they intended to have happen, inadvertently, they could say, actually, uh, we made it way easier than, uh, we, than we could have because we're assessing you against the old stuff, not against the new stuff. You're welcome. That's how I would frame it. But, you know, what do I know? What do you know? What do I know? Anyways, ne next thing here towards the end of our list, uh, dear DOD, please address reciprocity. So one of the most common questions that comes up, you always see this on the monthly town halls, is what about reciprocity with ISO 27001 is a very common one. And I'm here to tell you right now, there won't be any reciprocity with uh, ISO 27001 because the standards are not equivalent. They are not the same thing. You can look in the back of 800-171 and you can look at the crosswalk to ISO 27001. And even though 800-171 is a tiny fraction of the sets of controls in 853, there are still major gaps between what ISO 27001 has and what 800-171 has. 800-171 covers more stuff. It is a superior standard. It has a set of documented assessment procedures. It's not some magic that's in the head of whatever ISO assessor happens to show up at your door, right? Even though there's still a little bit of assessor magic that unfortunately exists, it's much smaller, right? The degree is much smaller. There will not be reciprocity between a CMMC certification and an ISO 27001 certification. We've talked about this on the podcast before. I hope that they clarify this in the rule. I, I would be I can't even imagine them saying anything other than no, that's not a thing. So ISO 27001, fully understand, fully understand the argument that you have there. What if my organization received a DIPCAC high assessment? Yeah, so that's interesting because DIPCAC high is assessing against 800-171. And so- And full you, interview, examine, and test, the only yeah. level of the DIPCAC assessments that are, are doing the, the full yeah, process, essentially this right? exact same process, exact same approach. Now, not a lot of companies have had those full uh, DIBCAC high assessments, but you know, I wouldn't have any particular problem if somebody had a DIBCAC high assessment and then they got shuffled in mostly because we know that if you have received a DIBCAC high, not a joint surveillance, but if you've received a DIBCAC high, that is the strongest indicator that you need CMC level three. So you got bigger fish to fry than Absolutely. worrying about CMC yep. level two, grandfather them in and say, yeah, you're good at level two because they need to tackle level three. If you're one of the few companies that has had a DIBCAC high assessment and you don't, if you're not aware of that, uh, make sure you study 800-172 and CMMC level three, because we asked Stacy this at CS2DC in 2022. And I was like, it seems odd to me that DIBCAC high assessments don't appear to be a random lottery. All of the companies that get DIBCAC high assessments are pretty high speed, doing some pretty cool stuff. You know what I'm saying? The whiz bang stuff, as Stacy might whiz -bang. say. bang. The whiz bang. And um, that seems like they would be strong candidates for CMMC level three. And she was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> 
So if you've received a Dibcac high any time in the last two to three years, uh, make sure you study 172 and make sure you scroll to the CMMC level three section of the rule. Uh, hopefully you get your reciprocity at level two. I would have no problem with that. The ISO 27001 people, um, please stop. <laughs> please stop. Okay. Last thing on our wish list. Well, you know, the seventh item, crazy. Uh, uh, how does this always happen? I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, dear duty, please address international partner issues. Uh, what's going to happen in terms of international reciprocity, uh, foreign dib companies, foreign dib partners, uh, who need CMMC, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that the CMMC rule is going to touch on international reciprocity all that much. I think that's going to be parked in the update to DFAR 7012, which we talked about in the last episode. Um, we expect that DFAR 7012 uh, rulemaking will begin like Q1 of 2024. And I feel like they're going to address international reciprocity uh, verbiage in that rule to a much larger degree than they will in the CMMC rule because essentially the CMMC program follows DFAR 7012. And so I think they'll probably park that language in 7012. I could be wrong. They may address it to some extent. I know there's a lot of attention and desire for answers there. Uh, I just don't know to what degree um, they'll address that issue. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think that the last two of our seven items on our wish list um, we're for the people because realistically over the past, I would say year, easy, these were the top two things that were constantly asked, constantly asked. Yeah. And the answer that was provided, that will be addressed in the CMMC yeah. role. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, so, so for the best part of Christmas, stocking stuffers, right? Stocking stuffers. Okay. We have one, one bonus question. This question actually came up on the last AB town hall. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a, it's a doozy. So, what level of change in your CMMC environment might trigger another CMMC assessment before your three-year renewal cycle? So if you get certified against 800-171 for your CMMC level two, and then something significant changes in your architecture, in your environment, in your, in your technology stack, in whatever, what tipping point uh, do you have to cross before what was certified is no longer represented uh, by what is in the environment, thereby needing a new CMMC assessment. In the world of RMF, risk management framework, ATOs, the FedRAMP world, 853, stuff like that, uh, if there's a significant change in the environment, you have to have a new assessment, essentially, to cover the changes and then get your updated ATO decision. Uh, CMMC as far as we know, doesn't have that mechanism. And so if you get certified on day one, and then you don't need to get a new certification until three years later, and you change everything in your environment six months after your assessment, what now, right? What now? So how long after changes are made? How significant do the changes need to be to trigger a follow-up assessment? Do you have to go through the entire assessment again? Do you just have to go through a Delta assessment for what the changes are? Is this even going to be a mechanism in the CMMC program at all? Um, it's a relevant question. It's a security relevant question. Uh, it exists and has existed for quite some time in the big brother world of 853 ATOs. Um, and it's a very common question that comes up on town halls and things like that. So I would love to know if the rule is going to address 
uh, that issue. Just looking at it and then looking at the question and trying to think like if there was possibly a solution where like maybe there was a control in place where annually an independent party would assess the implementation. Oh man, of wouldn't that be something? To make sure that they still meet the requirements in which they were certified for. I, I feel like, I, I don't know, just spitballing again. You know how I do. <laughs> well, the good thing is, Comments are still being accepted by NIST on 171 Rev 3 final draft. So for those of you that think it's ridiculous that you could be certified against CMMC and then change everything the next day and not get recertified until three years later, maybe that's a good reason why independent assessments should be a requirement in the 800-171 Rev 3 baseline. Uh, just a thought <laughs> buried at the bottom of your stocking here, along with... Uh, you know, I don't know. Do you put an orange in your stockings? We always put oranges in our stockings. Like a, a whole orange, like, yeah, a, like as the, the, fruit. Like the fruit. Yeah, Putting absolutely. In your stocking. You'd yeah. always, and you'd always get these gigantic ones too. Christmas right. oranges hit different, right? Yeah. They're it's, it's always, it's always different. If you put an orange in the bottom of your stocking, uh, let us know in the comments below. That's our wish list for the CMC rule. That's our stocking stuffer for the CMC rule. Hopefully we get the CMC rule well before christmas please santa please have mercy on all of us um uh but yeah so that's what we want to see that's what we're expecting and uh we'll see you guys next week see you next week <laughs> <laughs>